How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network, mid-season report time. We're going to start the Eastern Conference today. This could be a lot of fun. We'll have four of them for you over the next two weeks. Two Eastern Conference this week, two Western Conference next week. Mid-season reports. A lot of teams are hitting the halfway point of the year, and we are going to empower the Locked On Podcast Network to give you the latest on every team. For those of you who do not know, we did this early in the year as a preview. It was a great success, so we're bringing it back. The Locked On Podcast Network is out there for you with host hosting 15 to 22-minute bite-sized podcasts for you every single day on your team, Monday through Friday, giving you the latest on your team or your opponents this week or a big story going on in the NBA and you want the local angle, you go to the Lockdown Podcast Network and you get it. So today we're going to hear from the host of the uh, Sean Woodley of the Raptors. We're going to hear from the reigning Jays on the Boston Celtics, Philip Rossman Reich on the Orlando Magic, Keith Pompey on the 76ers, Chris Manning on the Cavaliers, Dan Feldman on the Pistons, Sean Heiken and Cody Westerlin on the Bulls. Then we'll flip it for you, hopefully on Wednesday. We'll post the other Eastern Conference teams, uh, Sons, the Brooklyn Nets. We actually do not have a Nets show right now. So uh, that will be the one team that goes uncovered, probably uh, willingly by all of you, the way their season is going. Uh, so these are the guys. They cover them every day. They're local. They give you the insight and break it down for you. Today's show is brought to you by Indochino. Really glad to have Indochino back on the show. Absolutely fabulous uh, to have them involved. Uh, they make the made-to-order, uh, made-to-fit shirts, suits for you. Just terrific. Also by Blue Apron. Blue Apron back with us again. So exciting to have them. And, of course, the promo code of Locked on SeatGeek gives you $20 back when you make your first purchase at SeatGeek. Here's what I've done. I've given these guys all five questions. What is the number one storyline of your season? Who is better than you thought? Who's less good than you expected? Are you buyers and sellers of the trade deadline? And then if so, what are you doing at that trade deadline? And what is the key to success for the second half of the season this year? Toronto, Boston. Orlando, 76ers, Cavaliers, Pistons, and Bulls today on Locked on NBA. All right, let's get it going. No particular order. Maybe standings, I guess, a little bit on some of these. We'll start off with Sean Woodley, the Toronto Raptors, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan having all-star-esque seasons. Uh, so far, the Raptors come in uh, as a... I record this at 24 and 13. They're four and a half back from the Cavaliers. Boston's chipping at them. We'll hear from the Celtics guys here in a second. Uh, one thing of note, 
uh, on the Raptors this year. They're 19-2 and two when they lead going to the fourth quarter. They have just become a great closing team, which is something they did not have uh, originally about them. And they, against above 500 teams this year, are 13-9, and nine, uh, which is okay. It's not great. That kind of maybe tells you whether they've hit the elite contrast that we'll talk about the Cavaliers they're 17 and 4 against above 500 teams it kind of gives you the where that separation is uh between these two teams so we'll let and we'll let Sean uh tell you more about where the Raptors are they've been floating around the number one offense in the NBA those two guys just remarkable Dwayne Casey doing a great job they've got continuity they got a lot of things going for them but let me turn it over to the local guys there every day uh here's Sean with Locked On Raptors Breakdown Hey there, Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors for Locked On NBA's midseason report on the Toronto Raptors. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean, and you can find Locked On Raptors on Twitter as well at Locked On Raptors. We're on iTunes as well if you want to subscribe to the show, leave a rating or a review there. Um, so let's get to these questions here that David Locke has sent out to all the Locked On hosts to uh, sort of roll through here as sort of a midseason sort of barometer check on what the Raptors have been at, up to so far. Uh, number one from David, what is the number one storyline of the season so far? Uh, it's kind of hard to think of one because the Raptors are kind of exactly what we thought they'd be. They're the second best team in the Eastern Conference. I think that's pretty clear right now, uh, despite you know a bit of a hiccup on our recent road trip and Boston kind of coming on of late. Um, you know, they're still a tier below the Cavaliers and are definitely in need of a move if they want to make up that gap between themselves and the top teams in the league. So far this season, the Raptors are 0-6 against the Warriors, Cavs, and Spurs after Tuesday night's blowout. Um, so, but, but, but pretty much everything has gone co- according to plan. The Raptors are playing just about as well as you would th- think they were. They're on a pace for, you know, just over 50 wins, which is what most people had them pegged at. But if there's one thing that's been sort of abnormal and or not expected about the team this season. It has to be the offense, which has just been a blast to watch this season. Uh, until Tuesday's loss to the Spurs, the Raptors were the league's best offense for the better part of the last month or so. And it's been impressive to watch and fun to watch because they've been doing it in a comparatively simplistic way. You know, they're not the Warriors, they're not the Spurs, they don't have this crazy ball movement, they're not pinging the ball around their perimeter time after time uh, down the floor. You know, there's a lot of, you know, just sort of simple, you know, one or two passes to set up open shots, um, and, and the Raptors are, have been doing this and scoring, you know, 113.1 points per 100 possessions on the course of the season, um, a number that was like two points higher before they went on this road trip and had some offensive struggles. But they've been doing that with the second lowest assist percentage in the NBA, and it's just been an interesting sort of way to look at offense and how the Raptors have been able to accomplish such great things on that end of the floor without being sort of this modern ball movement, you know, five-out kind of team. Um, This leads me to number two uh, on the list here. Which players have been better or worse than expected this season? When it comes to players who've been better, that's Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, both of them. Um, DeRozan's added a new level of sort of efficiency to his scoring. He's always been a a good mid-range shooter who can knock down tough shots, but he's not forcing the issue as much this season uh, as he has in the past. And he's turned, you know, the thing that stood out to me the most is... The 10 to foot, 10 to 12 foot range with these floaters, he's kind of turned that into his bread and butter, and he's and it's turned a really tough shot kind of into a science for him. Um, and DeRozan, of course, is you know top five in the NBA in scoring, or has been for most of the season. He's really upped his playmaking as well. He's averaging a career high in assists. And you know once teams really started to pay extra attention to him on defense after his incredibly hot start, where he scored 30 points in I think nine of the first 10 games, um, he really started to facilitate a little bit more and sort of you know attacked the double teams teams were sending at him by just simply making the pass and moving it along, not turning the ball over. And then next to him in the backcourt, 
Kyle Lowry has somehow upped his level of play from last season where he finished 10th in MVP voting. He was just a, a monster last year. So far this year, it's been much of the same and then more. You know, he's been the best point guard in the East so far, I think it's fair to say. Um, he's shooting 44.4% from beyond the arc, easily his career best. Uh, over the last little while, you know, he's been on fire. He had a rough game on Tuesday night against the Spurs, uh, but that was his first really bad game from three-point range in a long time. He's, you know, routinely had, you know, six of seven, six of eight, um, you know, crazy shooting lines. And it, after a, a first month where he added some struggles from that that distance, um, he's been, you know, above 50% for the last month or so, and it's, it, there's no sign of it slowing down, at least there wasn't until that game against the Spurs on Tuesday night. Everything that the Raptors need him to be, he's the motor of the team, and the, the team is still so much better when he's on the floor. You know, he's been the closest thing you can be to Steph Curry without being Steph Curry. And actually, he's outperforming Steph when it comes to, you know, just regular three-point percentage. He's outscoring, outshooting him there by about four percentage points. He's got a better true shooting percentage, just barely. And, you know, his percentage on pull-up threes is dwarfing Steph Curry's right now as well. So, Lowry's been fantastic. Who's been worse than expected? That's got to be Jonas Valanciunas, I would say. You know, last season there was a lot of promise from him coming into the playoffs where he got injured against the Miami Heat and it kind of derailed him. But before that, he was playing some fantastic basketball, uh, really sort of showing his, you know, his strength as a pick-and-roll scorer, which hadn't really been sort of in the Raptors' repertoire heading into the playoffs, but they really went to it a lot in the playoffs, and he, there was some great success there. And, you know, he had a strong start to this season as well. Same idea, him and Kyle Lowry really seemed to have some early season chemistry in the pick and roll, but then Valanciunas got hurt a little bit, missed a couple games, and since then, it's kind of derailed a really promising start. You know, his defensive deficiencies have really been exposed against some of the tougher matchups the Raptors have come across. Um, you know, there was a game against the Warriors, for example, where he, you know, I think he was 6 of 6 in the first half from the floor, but he just got torched on defense to the point where he played like two minutes in the second half and just, you know, couldn't figure into the rest of the game. And with the Raptors scoring so well... Um, you know, they don't need his offense as much, and that sort of, you know, ex- exemplified just how bad his defense can be at times and, you know, how the Raptors can get by with a guy like Lucas Noguera coming in and being a bit more of a defensive presence around the rim than Valanciunas is, although Be- Bebe himself has had some issues on uh, on defense uh, this season, too. Um and, you know, the, the discourse around Valanciunas has kind, of, has kind of changed. And, you know, coming into the season, a lot of people saw him as being sort of a focal point of the team and a centerpiece moving forward. And since then, you know, it's kind of morphed this season where people, you know, when you bring up trade talks and things like that, people seem quite content with the idea of trading him and his reasonable contract. It's about $16 bucks a year if a big deal comes up. Um, and that leads me into the third question here from David. Are the Raptors going to be buyers or sellers? And I think they're definitely going to be in the market to buy at the deadline. But whether or not they can get something done is a lot more up in the air. And if there's a guy that's on the on the on the wish list for the Raptors, it's Paul Millsap. We've heard the rumors come out this week from ESPN's Mark Stein and Chris Haynes uh, and Brian Windhorst that you know Millsap might be on the move at some point here over the next little while, as the Hawks are kind of in no man's land and they're 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 at the risk of losing Millsap for nothing at the end of the season. And if the Raptors are going to do something. I don't see it being for like a marginal upgrade that doesn't get them in the Cavs territory. A Millsap move is about the only one rumored out there that would give them a better shot in a hypothetical Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs. And that's likely going to require a package built around one of Jonas Valanciunas or Terrence Ross's contracts with a bounty of you know first-round picks, which they have two of this season. Both are going to be low, but they're still first-round picks. And, and the prospects that sort of litter the end of the bench, um, it's going to take that for the Raptors to really pull off a move here. And I'm not sure if they're going to be in the Millsap sweepstakes as much as we'd like to see um, or as fans would like to see. 
you know, they're, they're kind of uh, the best fit, I think, for Millsap, just in terms of a team, in terms of their timeline right now. Uh, you know, the, the core is older. They're not like a team like Denver where they have a lot of younger guys and throwing a 30-something-year-old Millsap into the mix doesn't make a ton of sense time-wise. Um, but, it, it, you know, there are going to be a lot of suitors, and whether or not a deal gets done, I'm not sure. And if it doesn't get done, I don't really see the Raptors doing anything else. Um, and, you know, if you're looking at the rest of the season and what would make this season a success for the Raptors, you know, getting back to the Eastern Conference Finals, whether or not they make a big move or not, would represent a resounding success, I think. Uh, you know, this team is just one year into its run of legitimate relevance on the NBA stage right now after making the conference finals last year. And if they can run it back and show last year's run through the playoffs, which was, you know, at times rocky, uh, if they show that wasn't a fluke, that'd be a really great success for this Raptors team. Um, you know, it doesn't have to end in a title for the Raptors. Of course, it'd be nice if, you know, they could add a guy like Millsap and really challenge the Cavs, maybe squeak through to a finals and, you know, get obliterated by the Warriors. But uh, I don't think that's really realistic to expect. And, and you know, that's okay. Uh, it's okay to be very good. That's all I have for you today. I'm Sean Woodley. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. The show is on Twitter at LockedOnRaptors. And uh, would really appreciate you checking it out oh and a little canadian accent at the end from sean sean does a great job lockdown raptors super team probably eastern conference finals though that's going to be quite a matchup against boston in all likelihood along the way today's show in part is brought to you by blue apron they just do great stuff for so many reasons blue apron if you don't know what blue apron is they're the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. So they deliver to you, to your home, making home cooking accessible to everyone. And what you get is you get all of the ingredients you need and the recipe, and then you can cook this amazing meal at home and things that you just wouldn't have done otherwise, whether it's the spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage, whether it's the pork chops and uh, scallion rice, the Chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. All of the ingredients are fresh, high quality, made a real difference. Not all ingredients are equal. You just can't, you know, go grab anything and it makes the food taste the same. And that's also what's great is because Blue Apron sends you the exact amount you need in your ingredients, then you aren't wasting as you might be. Affordable, super variety, flexible. You customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. Easy. The meals come with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, pre-portioned ingredients, as I just mentioned. 40 minutes or less. And guarantee the freshest that you can get in every ingredient. They come out with a new menu each week and you get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash lock NBA. Drop the E though. L-O-C-K-N-B-A. Not sure why, but just that's to make you remember. Drop the E. Blueapron.com lock NBA slash lock NBA. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create that home cooked meal. We've done it with the kids, so it makes it a lot of fun. Uh, forever makes it a family event or just an easy way to get a fabulous meal out without the hassle of dealing with it. Blueapron.com slash LockNBA. Boston Celtics have clicked in. We, I saw them the other night. They look great. Isaiah Thomas is having a remarkable season so far. They've gotten healthy with Al Horford. They're playing this unique style of having five guys out on the floor uh, and making rim protectors irrelevant defensively. Uh, they are a game back from Toronto as we record this. They are just 9-5 and five against above 500 opponents, which is interesting, maybe partially because of the fact that they had those injuries, but that's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, and, and we'll keep an eye and their differential is only 2.4 again maybe to those injuries compared to Toronto's which is 6.2 but there's no one chopping at them for that third spot so they're in pretty good shape and they seem to be getting better every day let's let the reigning Jays give you the local perspective on what's going on with the Celtics hey there we're talking Celtics we are 
The Rain and Jays on the Locked On Celtics podcast. John Corrales with Sam Packard answering five big questions for the midseason report for Locked On NBA. Sam, starting right off the bat, what is the number one storyline of the season so far for you? It's got to be Isaiah Thomas stepping up his game and emerging from a very, very good player to a star. And that's right, I said a star. I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was going to be this good. And I think you have to give Al Horford a lot of credit for kind of opening up the floor. But Isaiah has been unbelievable, especially in the past month. And I just didn't see it coming. Yeah, that's that's really a huge thing for the Boston Celtics. I'm going to go with the Horford thing myself because I think Horford's touch on everybody is, is the big storyline because Isaiah is huge. Uh, Avery Bradley has been huge. Marcus Smart has been better than expected. A lot of these guys have been better than expected, and Al Horford is the common thread throughout all of these guys. He has really just been amazing on the offensive end, driving the entire offense. He has been great in the pick and pop, great in the pick and roll. He's one of the best passers for his size, and I think just having him on the floor for the Boston Celtics has turned this team Look, when we came into the season, we thought the Celtics' defense was going to be great and the offense was going to be so-so. The offense has been amazing. It's the seventh-ranked offense right now in the NBA. And I think Horford is a big guy, a big reason for that. Uh, so my number one storyline is Horford. So going on to the question number two, who is better than you thought and who is less good than expected? So better than we thought. I'm going to go with Marcus Smart, and I think Marcus, because he has settled into a role as the backup point guard, and if you take away some of the extraneous shooting, the heaves, the last-second shots, I think the Marcus Smart is a bad shooter thing is kind of overblown now. He is shooting over 50% from both corners from three, and I I think he's just developing into – a pretty nice offensive player. Less good. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, and maybe it's a little bit unfair because he's coming off the shoulder surgery. I was hoping he would take a big step forward so far this season. It's not been the case. He's been okay. Some nights he's been okay. Some nights he's not. And we knew coming into it that coming off the shoulder, uh, the the dislocated shoulder, that's going to hurt his big strength, which is three-point shooting, and it has, but I think his overall game, his aggressiveness, has also suffered because of it. So those are my choices. Yeah, you you took mine with uh, with Kelly Olynyk. I just he we all know I'm in love with his positional defense, but I just thought he was going to do a lot more on the offensive end, and he just hasn't really put together. He hasn't really had one game where he's shown what he can do, and I thought he was going to be the type of player to be average ten to twelve points a game. As for someone who's performing better than expected, I'm going to have to go with Jay Crowder because never in a million years did I think he was going to be a 42% uh, shooter from beyond the arc. So that's just it. maybe just part of the looks he's getting in the Celtics offense, but I didn't think he would ever kind of improve his game to be that much better of a three-point shooter. Yeah, he's been fantastic. I mean, you talk about a 3-and-D guy. He has taken his game to another level. Coming into the season, we talked about it on the Locked On Celtics podcast multiple times. If he could have been just a league-average three-point shooter, we would have been happy, and he is 
a top 20 three-point shooter. So great season from Crowder. Great pick by you. Okay. Questions three and four are combined. Are you buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? And depending on the answer, whether we're buyers or sellers, what type of player are we trying to get and who are you willing to move? Okay. Jimmy Butler has been the (laughs) rumor du jour thanks to Zach Lowe. But there are other guys. I'm saying the Celtics would be buyers. And depending on who is available, but let's go with the Butler because he is the guy that's been rumored right now. If if the Celtics had to get rid of Crowder, and you say maybe Crowder, Smart, plus a Linux who is a restricted free agent and maybe is not going to be re-signed, if you do some combination of those three guys for Jimmy Butler, I think I'm in on that. Oh yeah, I would I would agree with that. I just don't think it, it's ever going to happen. I mean, the Celtics are always in the buyer's market for a star. I I think my answer to this question is kind of just the caveat of can the Celtics be buyers without harming their cap space for next year? So they basically only can bring back a guy who's on an expiring contract. And for that type of person, I'd maybe give up uh, a Terry Rozier who uh, has kind of fallen out of favor or some sort of future. Memphis non Brooklyn net pick for that type of person, but I just don't think the Celtics are really buyers or sellers at this point. I think they're just going to stand pat. So many options for them. Paul Millsap is a name that's been thrown out there. If the Celtics can make a move for one of these guys, Millsap, Butler, or whomever else might come out there, for a player that is not Amir Johnson uh, or Jonas Jerebko, those are two guys with expiring deals. That almost total twenty million. You throw a couple of of other guys in there. If they can get rid of established players for a superstar player and maintain some cap flexibility that allows a lot of options for Boston, they can go out and maybe get a second tier guy that maybe um, you know maybe it's an Andrew Bogut, maybe it's that type of guy that can fill a center spot something serviceable, or maybe they use that cap space to give Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley a renegotiate and extend type of thing. But as long as that flexibility is maintained, they've got a couple of stashes over in Europe that could come in, come up big. They've got a, a couple of guys in uh, the D-League that could come up big. So who knows? Lots of options, but I think if the Celtics do make a move, they're buying and not selling. Okay, last question, Sam, for you. The key to the second half, what what can happen between now and the end of the season to call this season a success? Uh, I'm going to have to kind of have another uh, squishy answer on this one. I don't think it has to be the second. I think they have to win a playoff series. If they do yeah. not win a playoff series, this, this whole season is, a, is kind of a wash. And I even think they really should be pushing for Eastern Conference Finals because they, they've shown that they have the talent to compete. I don't expect them to beat the Cavs, but... I, I think they're plenty capable of getting there, so that's what I would consider to be a successful season for the Celtics. Absolutely. That is the answer. That's my answer. Got to go out there and win at least a playoff series, probably two. Look, we're talking about this, and whenever this airs, the Celtics are going into a Tuesday night game against the Raptors competing for the second seed. However that works out, the Celtics are in that mix for the second or third seed in the East as constructed. So whether they're buyers or sellers, we'll see. 
but the Celtics currently are a top two or three team in the East, which means they have to go out and beat whatever team is in front of them in the first round. And if they can get to that Eastern Conference Finals, that would be huge. So we are both in agreement there. So that is it. That's our midseason review slash preview for the Locked On NBA show. We are the Locked On Celtics podcast. Make sure to check us out. It's me. It's Sam. It's Jay King from MassLive.com, the beat writer who is there every day in the locker room with the Boston Celtics. Lots of fun on the show. We are always high energy, always fast-paced, and we're here every day to talk about Celtics and Celtics-related stuff in the NBA. So that's our midseason preview. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for subscribing. Back to the Locked On NBA show. That's Locked On Celtics. John, Jay, and Sam do super work. They're fun. They have a really good time with the show. Jay's the covers the team daily on the road with them. Uh, he's kind of the stats breakdown film. John's more of the out there guy. It's really it's a good deal of fun, and Boston's a good team uh, to follow. The Orlando Magic have been one of the real mysteries of this season, and every time you think they're going to click in, they don't. Philip Rossman Reich does a super job with Locked On Magic. He hosts also OrlandoMagicDaily.com, so he's been covering this team for quite some time. The Magic, as we record this, are 16-23, and 23, sitting at 12th, and you kind of just keep waiting to see if Frank Vogel's systems can kick in. And so far, halfway through the season, I think it's fair to say that they probably have not. They've lost three in a row, four of their uh, six of their last ten uh, so far. Stunningly, they're just seven and thirteen at home. Uh, there was this stretch of time where they were great defensively, and you really felt like they they might click in and get it going. But they just it, it just that has not. Happened. They've played from. They've trailed at halftime in 24 of their 39 games so far this year. So they are playing from behind. They are scrapping, and it has not been the season that people expected out of the Orlando Magic. Let's get Philip Rossman Reich of Lockdown Magic to give us an understanding of why. Oh, hey there! Didn't see you walk in. My name is Philip Rossman Reich. I'm the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, as well as the site editor and expert over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. And uh, when it comes to Orlando Magic, I think the storyline before the season was, what in the world are the Magic doing? They made a lot of strange moves in the offseason. They uh, certainly took some risks with uh, some of their offseason acquisitions and certainly uh, made uh, their desire to make the playoffs extremely well-known and, and, and kind of telegraph that with some of the moves they made, trading off Victor Oladipo for Serge Ibaka. And as we near the midpoint of the season, uh, it's hard to say what or who this Magic team is. As I'm recording this, I'm recording this on a, a Friday night. Uh, the Magic are 16-22, and 22, which is not a good record by any means and uh, is, you know... A, the way the Eastern Conference is setting up puts them three, about three games out of the final spot in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So they're not far enough to, you know, be out of it. They're, but they're not close enough to say, oh, this team's about to make a run. And with the teams, with the number one storyline this season, it's just this team is so wildly inconsistent. The Magic just have not been able to gain any traction, any traction at any point this season. They haven't been able to seem to fix on an identity even. I mean, I think when the Magic brought in all these players, when they brought in Serge Ibaka, when they brought in Bismack Biombo, they figured they were going to be defensive juggernauts 
Frank Vogel has never coached a team that was not a defensive juggernaut, a top 10 defensive team. And this team has not developed that identity. Since December 1st, they are 28th in the league in defensive rating. That's more than a month now of just terrible defense. It's really, frankly, amazing that the Magic have stayed at or above, at 500 since December 1st. Uh, and that's the big storyline for this season so far for the Orlando Magic, is just the rampant inconsistency from a team that has a great coach in Frank Vogel. And, and frankly, I, and frankly, and I, uh, a couple, couple of my listeners have said, I do have to say, pun not intended on that, that have so many defensive minded players. This team hasn't been able to figure out how to be good on defense or how to be good even game to game. That makes judging the rest of the season hard. As is question two on our list here, who's better than I thought they were and who's been less good than I thought they were? I'm going to go with probably the biggest uh, uh, paradigm shift that I think no one expected. Bismack Biombo has not been as good as we all thought he would be. In fact, the Bismack Biombo Serge Ibaka pairing is terrible on defense. That the, the team's defensive rating plummets. And by plummets, I mean teams score easily when both Biombo and Ibaka are on the floor. Biombo has, you know, I, I, you kind of knew what you were getting with him. He's a, a, a big rebounder, not going to give you a lot on offense, going to block shots, protect the rim. And, and he's done that at times. It's not that he's a terrible defender. But for whatever reason, he doesn't mesh well with Serge Ibaka. The guy who does mesh well and who has played, I think, better than, than I expected and has kind of made the Biombo signing look a little silly, to be frank, especially considering the Magic had Dwayne Dedman as a restricted free agent and he's been killing it with the San Antonio Spurs this year. Nikola Vucevic's defense has taken a major step up. The Magic are a successful, de- are a pretty good team, not a, a great team, but a, a decent, at least passable defensive team when Ibaka and Vucevic share the floor. They seem to really complement and complement each other well, both offensively and defensively. And Frank Vogel is a master at teaching verticality and positioning. He has turned Nikola Vucevic into a pretty reliable defensive player around the basket and at the rim. His, he's not giving up less than 50% at the rim yet, but his, his defense, defensive numbers continue to climb and he continues to look like a better defensive player. What I think a lot of people, though, are going to be confused with when it comes to the Atlanta Magic is how they approach the next month and a half before the trade deadline. Are the Magic buyers or sellers? My answer is to be determined. The Orlando Magic have missed the playoffs now for the last four years. This will be year five coming up if they miss it. Miss it this year. It is the longest drought in Magic franchise history. Longest playoff drought in Magic franchise history. And most, you know, I know there are a few teams that would say, oh, five, five years is nothing. But this is a restless fan base and more importantly, a restless ownership base. When you look at the moves that the Magic made, they were done with one thing in mind. Get Speed up this rebuild, get this team better, find an identity, and get into the playoffs. We'll figure it out from there. If there's one team in the league, and, and I'm sure there are others, but if there's one team in the league that is more determined to make the playoffs in 2017 as their only goal, it has to be the Orlando Magic. They have They are so focused on the playoffs that I think there's a real chance that they will hang on to that dream longer than they should. They certainly proved that last year when they traded Tobias Harris away for essentially cap space, but they, they sold everyone on Brandon Jennings and Arisano Yasova, freeing up some playing time for Aaron Gordon, which I don't really think it did, and uh, bringing some veteran presence that would help them uh, make the make a playoff a late playoff push when the playoffs were, were long, uh, long out of the picture there. 
I think the Magic are still going to be buyers at the trade deadline this year. I think they're going to try and make a move. It wouldn't surprise me if it happens before the end of January, depending on how this upcoming, uh, and it'll have already started by the time you listen to this, that upcoming six-game, 11-day West Coast road trip begins. I think once that road trip ends, the Magic will see where they are, see how close they are to the playoffs, and decide whether they need to make a move now or make a move at the February trade deadline. I suspect they will be very active ahead of the February trade deadline, regardless of what happens, and I suspect that they will be buyers. Realistically, though, with this roster, how mismatched it is, and especially with what's available in the draft, if the Magic find themselves so far out of the playoffs, they should become sellers, even if that means Rob Hennigan loses his job in the end. They need to set up their future future better by potentially getting a high draft pick, selling off Serge Ibaka to make sure they don't lose him for nothing in free agency this summer, uh, and begin to move some pieces around and begin finding a, a player who they can feature. And, and, and perhaps Aaron Gordon is one of those. The Magic are going to be targeting players who can help them defensively, especially, especially on the perimeter. Uh, I think they'll be looking for a point guard. It wouldn't surprise me if they get into the Goran Dragic sweepstakes. It wouldn't surprise me if they settle on Brandon Knight. I'm a little leery of both their contracts, especially if you're looking to a long-term vision. But the Magic are thinking short-term. Can they make the playoffs this year? For this season to be a success, for the second half to be a success, it's the same thing that has to happen at the beginning of the season. This Orlando Magic season is all about making the playoffs. If the Magic make the playoffs, the season is a success. If they miss the playoffs, it's a failure. It's short-sighted. It's probably unrealistic considering the team that they have. I didn't think they'd make it at the beginning of the season. I'm still not sold now. They have the talent to do it. And they have some pieces they can move to try and improve the roster. But sitting where we are now, it feels like a long way away for the Magic to achieve that goal. Once again, this has been Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic. I hope you all check out the show. You can follow us on iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, all the fun places you download podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter at OMagicDaily. I'll send it back to David. I find myself almost bummed. I like Philip so much that I wish the Magic had, had a better season for him. He deserves that with the amount of work he puts in, the anticipation uh, for that year. One of the most interesting seasons so far in the NBA has been that of the Philadelphia 76ers. They're 10-25. and 25. What's going to happen with Noel, Okafor, and Bede? Looks like he's all everything. When do we see Ben Simmons? Is the process actually working? Keith Pompey writes for the Philadelphia Papers there. He does a great work for the Philadelphia Inquirer, covers the team, travels them every day, and it is kind of fun, folksy Philadelphia edge, yet niceness to who Keith is because he's a super nice guy. He puts out locked on Sixers every day, and it's got amazing insight and an enjoyable listen. Let's get the breakdown on our five questions from Keith. Welcome to Locked On 76ers. I'm your host, Keith Pompey, here with the mid-season report. Talk to you a little bit about the Sixers, who actually have been playing better than expected. Right now, the Sixers are 10 and 25. Uh, with the 10 wins, they matched their win total from last season when the Sixers finished uh, 10 and 72. So, you know, they, they have 47 games left and they already have the same amount of uh, wins that they did last season. So, you know, everything's going well. I want to talk to you about. First off, I want to talk to you about the number one storyline of the season. And that has been Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is the 76ers 
Um, he's like a third-year rookie, seven-foot-two third-year rookie. And, and for people here who aren't familiar with MB, the reason why he's a third-year rookie, he was drafted with the third over third overall pick in 2014. He had two foot surgeries that kept him out of the previous two seasons. So this is his debut, and uh, let's just say he's way better than expected. Um, this guy right now is is fourth among Eastern Conference forwards in the All-Star voting, All-Star fan voting. He's averaging 19 points, 2.4 blocks, 7 rebounds. Um, just tell you, he, he's been the man. And uh, the thing is, in Philadelphia, it's crazy. Whenever he goes to the foul line, the, the crowd chants, trust the process. And it's starting to end up that way on the road as well. They did it in Boston, which I was so shocked. Like, you got Boston Celtics fans. I mean, the Sixers fans who were up there, you know, chanting that. And then the same thing in Brooklyn uh, two nights later. People were chanting, trust the process. So the storyline is Embiid. Um, he is the greatest. So, well, so far, I don't want to put that, like, definitely say it, but... So far, it appears that he's going to be the best player in the Sixers uniform since Allen Iverson. He gets the Allen Iverson treatment um, when he's on the road. Crowds uh, cheer, the opposing crowds cheer when his name is announced. In Philadelphia, people don't call him Embiid. They all call him the process. So, you know, this guy has been the truth. You know, I want to talk to you about who's, you know, who is better than you thought, than I thought, and who has been less good than you expected. Now, we already talked about Embiid. Embiid is better than ex- expected. Um, but then there's someone else, Ersan Ilovasova. You know, he's a power forward that the Sixers picked up in uh, November, early November, in a trade from the Oklahoma City Th- Thunder. The Sixers were his fifth team. In a year and a half. His fifth team in a year and a half. Now, you know that this guy can shoot. I remember him when he was in Milwaukee um, playing against the Sixers. But, you know, when someone comes over and you say, hey, buddy, this is your fifth team, you know, and his fifth team is the Sixers, uh, a, a team that had been struggling for the longest time, you know, you're thinking like, whoa, this guy, you know, he's going to be a disaster. But, hey, we talked about Embiid. This is a guy who... Is, is arguably the second best player on the team, you know, second best healthy player. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where he makes Embiid better. He really does. I mean, the fact that he's a stretch four who can, who can shoot and, and, and he provides a lot of great quality spacing for Embiid, he makes the big fella better. So I must say that he has been the guy who has been better than expected as well as Embiid. Now, a guy who has been less good than expected, you know, that's kind of sort of like a tough one, you know. But I would have to say that um, I, I would have to give I would have to give this to Jared Bayless, and the only reason I'm giving this to him is just because of injuries. He's only been able to play in three games because. Because of his wrist, he had to have wrist, uh, wrist, left wrist surgery. 
um, because he tore some tendons in his wrist. Um, so the thing is, I'm not saying that he played bad. I just think that he didn't provide the impact that people thought he would do just because of that injury. So for that said, I'll have to, you know, give it to him. You know, for the most part, this team has had, you know, a, the best talent that it's had in years. You know, um, since the 2013-14 season when they tore everything down, you know, they did have some quality players in the in the beginning, but they all got rid of them at the trade deadline. So you have to say that this team right now as a group is probably the best group since then. Um, the, the thing is, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of guys are injured, so you don't get to see them like a, a Ben Simmons. You know, Gerald Henderson is playing through injuries. Um, but for the most part, these guys come and they bring it. So I really can't say, you know, that, you know, there's one guy who I think like, oh, I thought he was going to do something and he's not. You know, now Robert Covington's scoring is down. He's struggling to shoot the ball. But at the same time, he brings it on the defensive end. He's their best perimeter defender, and he routinely draws the opposing team's best perimeter player. So, you know, Robert Covington is is having a heck of a year. He's just not making shots. So, you know, I can't criticize him for that. Now, let's talk about the trade deadline. You know, you know, people are wondering are the Sixers buyers or sellers at the at the trade deadline. You know, they're they're basically buyers. I mean, they're buyers and they're hoping that somebody wants to buy what they're selling. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, I mean, the biggest story, one of the biggest stories around the Sixers was surrounding possible trading of Nerlens Noel and Jalo Okafor, two of their reserve centers. You know, so basically the Sixers at the trade deadline, you got to look for the Sixers to try to move one, if not both of them. You know, they think it's going to come down to whoever gives them the best offer. Right now, the offers have been basically minuscule. So the Sixers are stuck with these guys for the time being until they try to make something happen Uh, again or hope and pray that somebody gets a little you know, desperate at the trade deadline, trying to make a playoff push and say, you know what, I need a Nerlens Noel as a rim protector. I really do. Or, you know what, I need Okafor because of his scoring. So I, I think that's what was going to happen. You know, the Sixers, and, and but they let, don't get it twisted. The Sixers are, are going to try to use those players to get a perimeter player to help balance out the roster. Because right now, the Sixers are overloaded with centers and power forwards, and they need they need wings and guards. So that's what's going to happen. You know, that's what's going to happen. In regards to a specific player, I don't think it really comes down to a specific player that the Sixers have in mind. I think, like I said, it's going to come down to, you know, they need a wing, they need they need some guards, and they're going to try to see if they can get get one um, by trading Noel or or Okafor. The thing is, though, it's like they better get like a veteran guy. I think they need a veteran leader, a guy who can you know be stable in the locker room, but also someone who can you know who's who's not afraid to produce. I mean, you know, they need to get someone who can get them over the hump. 
like Jimmy Butler, as I mentioned last week, Jimmy Butler would be great for this team. The only problem with that is, you know, I think the asking price for Jimmy Butler would be too high. I think that Chicago, the Chicago Bulls, where Butler is the two guard at, they would they basically ask for, hey, okay, if you want Jimmy Butler, we want Ben Simmons. Or, okay, we want Embiid. Now, the Sixers are not going to get rid of Ben Simmons and Embiid. So I don't think that that will work out. But who knows? They may opt to give up. Um, they, they're in line to get two draft picks, two first-round draft picks. And they both could be very good draft picks. So they could possibly, you know, give up one or give up, you know, Oka for Embiid. Um, but... You know, I, I don't know. I, I think in order to get Butler, you may have to give up two, both of those draft picks and possibly, um, one of the two players or you, or you may have to give up Embiid or you may have to give up Simmons. And if, if that's the case, it's not going to happen. The Sixers aren't, aren't going to do that. They're not going to give up one of their franchise players just to get someone. All right. Now. Talk now. I got to talk about what is the key in the second half of this season of the season to call this a, a success. Well, I think the key is to just you know if the Sixers could win eleven more games, or, or I think you have to consider the season a success. I mean, let's face it, they won ten games last year. They tied that already. They tied that on Sunday against the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So they tied that win total. So if they can go and double up what they did last year, it it has to be a success. If Joel Embiid can make the All-Star game, you know, then that's great. I mean, it's great for the Sixers. He'll be their first All-Star since Drew Holiday in the 2012-13 season. So, you know, that'll be good. And then, you know, they, they, they'll get them in the right foot. If Ben Simmons could get on the court, Ben Simmons, you know, as some of you know, you know, suffered a preseason broken right foot so if if he can get on the court and if he could do certain things then then everything will will be well i mean the sixers are better they are an improving team and there's nowhere else to go but up and it seems like they're climbing a ladder i mean they've been the worst team in the league last year from like the start to the finish um right now you know there's two teams worse than them the miami heat the brooklyn nets and they're, they're, they defeated both of those teams. So, you know, the Sixers are, are, are steadily climbing. I mean, you were not expecting them to make the playoffs or anything like that. But at the same time, if they could get 20 wins, this season will be a success. Hey, I want to thank you guys for listening in to my, my, uh, um, midseason report. Now, you know, if you want to, uh, subscribe to this, you could go to Auto Boom or, or Audio Boom or, or uh, iTunes. And if you want to subscribe to all the Locked On Networks, you might as well, you know, do the same. Hey, I just want to let you people know that here at Locked On, we're the only ones who, who come to you five days a week with the most unfiltered information on your team. Thank you and have a great day. Keith's just one of those guys you want to hang out with. Like you can tell, just so fun uh, to be with. Today's show is brought to you in part by Indochino. They make made-to-measure suits that are terrific compared to that generic off-the-rack. I've used Indochino. In fact, last night for the game, I was wearing my nice Indochino shirt that I got from them every 
man looks better in a suit, and you look even better if that suit is measured to fit. They're the largest made-to-measure menswear brand. It's an incredible process. You go to Indochino.com, or you can stop by. They have nine North American showrooms. You pick from hundreds of fabrics and patterns, and then you think you're all done, and then they're like, and yo, you can do your lapel, your pleat, your jacket lining, all of it. And then you go through the body measurement and it's really detailed and you can tell at that moment you've got something special coming to you kick back relax four weeks later it comes to you made to order suits are just so much better than this kind of baggy a little long little not quite it it makes a huge difference you look great and the price is is super any premium indochino suit for 389 at indochino.com when you enter the promo code locked l-o-c-k-e-d this one has the e on it uh that's 50 percent off the regular price for the made to measure premium suit shipping is free so indochino.com promo code locked premium suit 389 and free shipping so hope you uh enjoy it uh tell me about your indochino experience i've I'm fired up about uh, some of the suits that I was able to get uh, over the holidays. Indochino.com slash locked. Let's go to the Cavaliers. They're the elite of the elite. And Chris Manning has won that championship with them, covers them every day, does a great job, and they are rolling. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Manning from Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in the Locked On Podcast Network. If you don't know who I am, I'm an editor for the sort of writer at the Step Back, and every day, Monday through Friday, I'm bringing you the latest Cavaliers news, analysis, breakdowns, or whatever is going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers. You're going to find that right here on Lockdown Cavs. We're recapping everything with the NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers, and we're here today to look at a quick look at what's going on with the team at the, around the midway point of the season. For start, the number one storyline of this season is that the Cavaliers have found a way to use Kevin Love in a better way than we've seen the past years. If you've been following the NBA at all for the the second LeBron era, Kevin Love has been the guy that has taken the brunt of the criticism for this team. But this year, in his third year with the team, the first year I think he's fully felt comfortable, came into the year fully healthy. He's averaged above 20 points, he's averaged above 10 rebounds, he's shooting his best percentage on a better usage rate, the Cavs are using him more organically than they ever have before, and you're seeing the Kevin Love that I think most of us thought we were going to see when the Cavs dealt Wiggins to get him from the Minnesota Timberwolves when LeBron came back two summers ago. We're seeing a guy who is comfortable, we're seeing a guy who has been burning by the title, and we're seeing a Kevin Love who I think has been the Cavaliers' second best player this season. I think he's definitely worthy of an all-star spot. I think he probably should be an all-star starter. And I, and I think we're seeing a Kevin Love who has really changed the way the Cavs operate. I think he gives them another dimension. It gives the Cavs another guy who can just get buckets, who's going to rebound really well, and can play against the Warriors. Even on Christmas Day, we saw Kevin Love play a role in that game. And he's going to shoot better than he did in that game, too, I think, over the long haul. And to me, that that's the most impactful thing we've seen with the Cavs here. Um, if we're going to look at who was better than I than I thought they would be, I think the answer to that is Amon Shumpert. I think you could certainly answer Kevin Love. You could certainly answer other guys. But Amon Shumpert's having the type of year that I think he's always wanted to have uh, in the NBA. Right now, he's not averaging a ton of points. He's not doing a ton of things as a backup point guard. He's averaging under two assists, but he's shooting the ball really well. Um, he's got an EFG above 50%, which would be the first time that would ever happen. His career, if he keeps it up, he's shooting almost 40% from three. He was a much higher than that earlier in the year, but he's cooled off a little bit. He's had a couple of bad nights over the past few weeks, but we're seeing a guy who is healthy. We're seeing a guy who's defending really, really well. 
We're seeing a guy who is looking more confident as a shooter, who is showing off some more creation things. We don't really see him dribbling a lot because it's still not something he is great at, but we're seeing a guy who is being the monster of the Cavs, probably hope they were getting when they acquired it from the New York Knicks during that first season with LeBron James. We're seeing a guy who I think has been really good, and on the flip side of that, a guy who's been bad has been Mike Dunleavy. Mike Dunleavy was the Cavaliers' big acquisition over the summer. They, of course, flipped him, uh, flipped Matthew Dallavadova to get him, and then to get a trade exception, then got him for pretty cheap. He's a guy that, in theory, I think fits really well with what the Cavs want out of their wings. He's a guy who, yes, he's a little bit older at 36, but he shoots threes, defends as long. He has not been good. He's currently dealing with an ankle injury that maybe. Uh, stemmed he's coming off that back injury last year where he only played 31 games with the Chicago Bulls but uh, as of right now this is a guy who is shooting 35.1% from three which isn't really good by his standards only four percent from the field just looks sort of lost at times makes dumb mistakes at times looks just sort of old and for him for him that's disappointing for the Cavs that's an issue I think they were truly counting on him to be a rotation player this year I think they were counting on him to be an impact player in this team to really fit well with LeBron James, and that hasn't happened. The Cavs, on that note, are definitely buyers at the trade deadline. This is a team that is, has a depth issue with Mo Williams' contract eating up a spot with Birdman, Tanger's ACL with McRae, Jordan McRae not being very good with Kay Feather being an unproven rookie. This team needs depth. They need another wing. Dunleavy would have certainly fit that issue, but he obviously hurts. Um, I think... J.R. Smith injury certainly makes them more of a buyer, and I think you're going to see this team in one way or another make a move at the deadline or get a guy in the buyout, on the buyout market. If it's a center, if it's a winger, if it's a bull, if they can swing both, I think they might do it, If especially if the price is right, and that's the big thing. If the Cavs are going to go after somebody, I think that if I was them, I would go after a wing. I think you need wings in the same bay more than you need bigs. And the, the Tristan Thompson, LeBron James, and Kevin Love, and, Ch- and Channing Fry, who has been great this year, and I, I think they've been enough in the front court where I'm not too worried about getting another rim protector. What I what I think they need a rim protector, a guy who can actually protect the rim in a high level shirt. Sure, that in an ideal world, probably they would have that guy on the roster, and maybe Costa Kufis can be that guy. But if they if they're theoretically they'll get him, but I, I think a wing matters more. Maybe it's a PJ Tucker. Maybe is it a former Kev Omri Caspi? Maybe it could be a small ball four who would make some sense. And allow RJ to play less four and to play more to wing. And he's been, because RJ's been really great this year. Richard Jefferson's been pushing again back against Father Time. I think the assets, of course, are limited. I think they have a pick they could use in the next couple of years. They have Kay Felder, McRae, Mo Williams' contract, Birdman's contract. And they have Seti Osman, who's a, or Chetty Osman, depending on how you pronounce it, who is a. No, Osman's probably their best asset. He's a guy that, if he projects to be an NBA player, he's going to be a very useful rotation player. And I, and I think he's playing very well in Europe. So I think he'd be a guy that, if a team likes him, they maybe could get something for him. Um, and I and I think you probably have to say you're all in on those guys. I think you have to be the right guy. P.J. Tucker's another name, but you, you'd have to have it to be the right guy. And lastly, if looking at this season being a success, I think it's just to stay healthy. This team has dealt with injuries. They have guys that have dealt with injuries before, guys that are older, guys that have a lot of miles on them, guys like LeBron James that have played a lot of minutes, guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love that have dealt with nicks and knacks over the past years and over the course of their careers. You want to stay healthy for the playoffs because I don't think there is a team in the Eastern Conference, even if Toronto go gets Paul Millsap, even if the Celtics get Boogie Cousins or get somebody or... The Hornets just become great or something like that. I don't think there is a team in the East that can compete with the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
And I think that remains true for the rest of the season as long as everyone stays healthy. And it, it doesn't matter if they are the one seed, the two seed, or the eight seed. I think the team is making the finals provided they are healthy. So this has been Chris Minga again from Locked on Cavs. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom. Again, we're covering the NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers daily Monday through Friday. Subscribe to that show. Email me at LockedOnCavs at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at LockedOnCavs. And thanks for listening. I didn't give you some of those numbers I've given you on other teams, the Cavaliers, because it, it seems like it doesn't even matter. They're, they're incredible. 24-0 when behind. Actually, me, went ahead after three. They're 25-1 when they lead at the half. Uh, their, their record against above 500 teams is 17-4. and four. There's nothing wrong. I mean, they're championship team waiting to get there. Maybe, you know, maybe minutes for LeBron, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, Detroit is 18-21 and 21 as we record this. They are... Uh, Right out of the playoffs, three games in the last column behind Washington, who, as we record this, is sitting in the eighth spot tied with Milwaukee. Uh, but there, it's tumultuous times in Detroit. Things don't seem to be clicking. Reggie Jackson hasn't made them better as I expected. Ish Smith is a terrible pack player, and I expected them to, to really turn it on, and it hasn't happened. Andre Drummond's impact on games to me still leaves me yearning for more. Let's see what Dan Feldman, who does a great job, you catch him on pro basketball talk as well, uh, on the NBA. BC site and he does a great job with locked on pistons dan feldman here answer a few questions for you about the pistons at this give or take mid-season point of the season uh first off what is the number one storyline of the pistons season uh, that's their regression defensively they went from one of the best defensive teams early in the year to one of the worst in this latest stretch the pistons have just completely fallen apart and it somewhat coincides with Reggie Jackson's return. Don't want to put all the blame on him, uh, but completely fallen apart at contesting shots. It's not that they're forcing turnovers worse or fouling more or not rebounding on that end in a, in a way that was a problem before they're just allowing better shots and teams are making them. And it's been a real problem for the Pistons. That's the key to their losing and some of it is based on some offensive frustration the team has talked about multiple times. And again, maybe this has a little more to do with Reggie Jackson. It does coincide with his return. Whether this is the Pistons' perception and it becoming self-fulfilling or not, but when the offense stalls and the ball movement isn't there, players tend to get out of whack defensively. And it's been a total breakdown. The Pistons, compared to earlier in the season, are allowing opponents to shoot better in every area of the court it feeds into each other. It's snowballing. One defensive breakdown leads to another, and it's just been a, a frustrating period for the Pistons. They're, they're definitely trying to get out of a funk right now. Uh, question number two, who has been better than expectations this season, and who has been worse? Uh, better than expectations has been John Luer. The Pistons signed him to a four-year, $40-plus-million-dollar contract in the offseason. Uh, some people thought that was a little bit too much for a backup. Well, Lure has worked himself into the starting lineup. He's shooting incredibly efficiently from two-point range. Uh, he's been good enough as a three-point shooter. He has a better track record as a three-point shooter, so he draws attention there. Just him taking those shots has been helpful. He's been so productive inside the arc. He's using the threat of himself as a three-point shooter, one, to generate space when he's just spotting up, but two, even when he gets the ball to attack closeout defenders, to drive, to dribble drive, to get things going inside. Uh, he's become more of an inside-out player. He's also defending pretty well for a team that has needed that. 
Uh, he's moved in the starting lineup and his defense maybe hasn't held up quite as well against starters as it looked against reserves. That probably should have been expected a little bit more. Uh, but it's still something that has helped balance out the lineups a little bit with either Marcus Morris or Tobias Harris going to the bench. And Lewis rebounding, not great, but has been better than Harris and and Morris have provided. Harris and Morris have been real disappointing as rebounders this season. But the honor of the most disappointing player, sorry, that's got to go to Stanley Johnson. He had a, a rocky but promising rookie season as a teenager, as to be expected. He was fine for his age, but that didn't make him fine overall. This year has been a step back. Johnson has mostly looked lost. He's come around a little bit lately, and that's encouraging, and hopefully that continues. Uh, But overall in the season, he's looked lost offensively. Either he's forcing the action and missing shots and turning the ball over, or he's deferring too much and just disappearing. His defensive effort has overall been pretty good, but a lot of times he just doesn't seem to be understanding where he's going. Uh, The low point came when the Pistons suspended him one game for violating team rules. They sent him to the D-League for a game. That probably got a little too much play. Uh, That was more just about getting his confidence up, not really a demotion. It was in between Pistons games. He got called right back up. But the fact that they even needed to send him to the D-League to get his confidence up, yeah, that exposes something about where he is. Question number three, are the Pistons buyers or sellers at the deadline? That's an interesting one for Detroit. They're kind of in between. Uh, they want to make the playoffs this year. They made the playoffs last year, breaking a, a long skid of being outside the playoffs, and they want to get back. But they also need to be realistic about where they are. They're out of playoff position right now. They're competing with several other teams. Uh, some of those teams are going to end the year unhappy. Detroit might be one of them. Well, the Pistons probably will play better the rest of the way. They'll get back in the mix, but they've dug themselves into a hole. Do they want to buy now, knowing that that might not be enough, that even an improved uh, roster might not get them to the playoffs because of that hole? Uh, That's pretty dangerous, but they've got a a coach in Stan Van Gundy running the front office. That's the type of thing uh, that people in his position sometimes go for. Uh, But he's shown an overall patience, so it's possible the Pistons are sellers. I think it's more likely they generally stand pat, maybe a small buy. Uh, if something comes up, but more likely that they stand pat and try and keep this core together. A lot of the players are under contract or under team control, at least Contavious Caldwell-Pope will be a restricted free agent next summer, uh, at least under team control, and maybe keep this group together and hope it goes better next year. Uh, that gets us to question four. Uh, who are the Pistons willing to trade, and and who would they be looking to target? Uh, they might look to target some help at a uh, backup shooting guard. That's been their weak spot on paper. This is a fairly deep and balanced team. It hasn't really come together, uh, but on paper, it's a balanced team. That has been the weak spot, though. However, there's a lot of potential in Stanley Johnson. He's probably their last lottery, high lottery, top 10 addition, depending on how this season goes. I do think the Pistons will pick it up a little bit and fall out of that range where they're getting a, a really good player in the draft this year. Uh, so they're probably going to still have a lot riding on Stanley Johnson, want to get him minutes. Plus, Reggie Bullock's coming back from injury. When he got hurt, he was their most effective backup shooting guard. Definitely not good enough where you feel great about him, but he was their most effective. So I could see the Pistons standing pat there. As far as who they're willing to move, there seems to be some discord on this team with with not necessarily guys pointing fingers, but just being unhappy with each other with the mix in a way that wasn't there last year. The starting lineup, at least that was intended when the season started, which is Reggie Jackson, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 
Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris, and Andre Drummond was pretty good last year after the Pistons acquired Tobias Harris in a midseason trade. Not very good this year, and players keep saying it's a different year, it's a different mix. Not really sure exactly who's causing that. It did come up when Reggie Jackson returned, so maybe breaking that up if that fit has gotten stale, that could be something the Pistons look to if they're looking big. Uh, trading Contavious Caldwell-Pope if they decide they don't want to pay him in free agencies, probably in line for a max contract. That could come up. Uh, question number five, what is the key in the second half of the season to call this a success? Uh, the expectations are probably lower now. It's probably just making the playoffs. The Pistons were the number eight seed last year. Just getting back there, not going backward now, that'd probably be a success. Coming into the year, it was hoping for a little bit more, for some progress, maybe a playoff series win, at least a very competitive first-round series after being swept the last two times the Pistons were in the playoffs. Before last year, that was 2009. Again, they were swept by the Cavs. Uh, but now, the way the first half has gone pretty rocky, just getting back to the playoffs would be a success, and to do that, they're going to have to defend a lot better. You can find more Pistons content on Locked On Pistons. You can follow on Audio Boom or subscribe on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA. I think Dan's going to have a lot to talk about. I feel like Detroit's prime for a major move. I don't see like Van Gundy's gotten that team to be his team yet. Could be a lot of big moves there. We got the Chicago Bulls left on today's edition of Locked on NBA. First, let me remind you about SeatGeek. You can use the promo code LOCK to get $20 back after your first purchase. So go to your app store or the iTunes store, download the SeatGeek app, and once you've got the SeatGeek app downloaded, what you're going to find out is ticket buying in a brand new, easiest fashion imaginable. They compile all of the different ticket places in one spot for you on your phone. Then they give every ticket a ticket score so you can look, all right, I want to be here in the arena between the end lines, or I want to go uh, upper deck to save some money today, or I want to make sure I'm lower bold. Then once you've narrowed that in, they'll give you the best ticket score in that area, and you just purchase it. It's on your phone. It's secure. It's there. And the best of all, if you go to the settings tab, enter in the promo code LOCKED, you get $20 back on your first rebate, on your first purchase, a rebate back to you. SeatGeek makes ticket buying easy. They compile all the sites for you. They give you a ticket score so you don't have to worry about whether you're getting the best ticket or not, and it's secure and right there on your mobile phone. Don't let, Download the SeatGeek app now to get that great experience, and here are Sean and Cody with the Chicago Bulls and the latest. Sean does some great writing uh, for The Athletic out in Chicago. Cody does good work on the radio out in Chicago. They do. They were kind of one of the originals of the Lockdown NBA podcast. Here is Lockdown Bulls Breakdown of their crazy season and the Rajon Rondo nuttiness. The Bulls holding on to that seventh spot right now at 19 and 8. And Jimmy Butler is just carrying them. Uh, We'll be interesting to see what they're able to what they're able to do. Uh, they're pretty good against good teams. They're 11 and 8. And I think it's also worth noting uh, on the Bulls so far this year. I always like that number uh, in which you take road wins minus home losses. They're even which kind of says that that's probably a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Hornets are plus one. Indiana's even. Uh, Boston or Washington's minus two. Milwaukee's minus two. Detroit's minus one. New York's minus one. So that even on road wins minus home losses is a good sign uh, for the Bulls. But Cody and Sean will tell you more. All right. Welcome to Locked On Bulls, your daily source for the Chicago Bulls on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Sean Hyken of The Athletic. I'm a co-host of Locked On Bulls. With me is my co-host, Cody Westerland of 670 The Score. We're going to talk about some year-in-review topics for the Bulls. Yeah, mid-season burning questions. Chicago Bulls, what is the number one storyline of the season, Sean? I think the number one storyline, first of all, I, I, I mean, there's two. Okay. 
One of them is just how good Jimmy Butler is. And we're recording this at the United Center the night of his uh, 52-point game and the win over the Hornets, so it's kind of topical. But Jimmy Butler, I mean, he was great last year. He won most improved the year before. He's been getting steadily better. He's taken it to another level this year. And then the other one is just kind of how awkward of a fit, and this is something that we all kind of predicted before the season, sort of, but just how awkward of a fit the quote-unquote three alphas are. You know, Rodman Rondo obviously has gotten benched this week, uh, maybe permanently, and Dwayne Wade has you know, been a little bit of an awkward fit with Jimmy. What about you? What do you think? Uh, you hit it nail on the head. Exactly. Couldn't say so better myself. I don't think we figure out enough about the rest of these uh, components for the Bulls because of the awkward fit, and obviously Jimmy Butler's uh, performance overshadows everything else any other individual does on the Bulls, and he's just kind of blossomed into not just a top 15 player in the NBA, but you could now start making an argument maybe maybe top 10. Absolutely. Next question, who's better than you thought on the Bulls, and who hasn't been as good as you expected to be this season? So why don't you go first on this one? Uh, Jimmy, better than I thought. Sure. No doubt. Yeah. No brainer there. Uh, Nico Miritich, I think, has been inconsistent for the Bulls again, and I thought... You know, he had an inconsistent second season after a good rookie season. And, you know, a sophomore slump, that happens to a fair number of people. He had some health complications in his second year. He just seems like a perfect fit for Fred Hoiberg in that he is a, a number a four-man who can shoot three-pointers. Theoretically, he's not shooting them well enough, though, this year. He's around the 30 31% mark. But he does have range when he can get hot and when he can get comfortable and he can also do some things off the bounce, and he just hasn't done enough of each of those this year uh, within Hoiberg's system, and that's partially a lot of it's on Nico because he's just got to be better and step up and perform, but I also don't think the Bulls uh, have used him to his peak efficiency and always putting him in the best spots to be successful. Right, and I mean, I would agree with what you just said, but I think just to name different guys than what you did, uh, I'm going to say a guy that I think has been better than a lot of people maybe thought he was going to be was Cristiano Felicio, okay. who has really earned that spot in kind of those backup center minutes. You know, he's the fourth big off the bench. He's undrafted, and he's really beaten out in the rotation. The guy that I think is, I'm going to say is the biggest disappointment so far, and that's Bobby Portis, their first-round pick from last year, has completely fallen out of the rotation at this point. He's a total defensive liability. He's shown a little bit offensively. He can you know get out and hit that 19-foot jumper occasionally, but he has not shown nearly as much as I think the Bulls or any fans would have hoped that he would at this point. Are the Bulls buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? All signs point towards selling at this rate, I mean, I if, feel like. I mean, for this franchise, I think the answer is none of the above. They don't really make in-season trades, but if you have to, you're forcing me to pick, are they going to be trying to acquire another piece to make a run, or is, are they going to sell something off? I think I'm going to have to go with sellers. Yeah, the Bulls' big moves in the past have basically been like acquiring Justin Holiday, Kirk Heinrich for Justin Holiday. That, that that was their biggest trade of the last. I, I think I think the last one before that they sold off Lou Alden. Right, they sold off Lou Alden. But I think five. before before that, the last time they actually traded for a rotation player during the season was John Salmons. 2008. That was a long, long time ago. So I wouldn't expect much activity of any kind for the what, guys at the deadline. If there is activity, what type of player are the Bulls looking to get, and who are they selling? Taj Gibson is the logical sell candidate for the Bulls. If they uh, drop too much below 500 and lose sight of that eight seed and or believe that youth and player development is their number one goal in the last couple months of the season, they could certainly tr- sell off Taj Gibson, who could help any contender 
and they could get a decent value, a good asset back from, I would think, maybe a late first-round pick for a team, uh, even that's in the playoff race, something like that, or maybe a quality young player under some contract control for a few years, and I think the Bulls just, they want to get a young player back or a draft asset, obviously. Well, the obvious answer for who they're going to try to move is Rajon Rondo, but I don't think he has any trade value around the league at this point. If they can find a team to take him without having to give up another asset, then great. But I think I would agree with you that their most attractive trade piece they have right now is Taj Gibson, who's just so solid at both ends of the floor. He's versatile. He, you know, he doesn't com- ever complain about his role. We've talked about how great he is a million times on the podcast before. He's the ultimate team guy, great locker room guy, very productive player at both ends, very versatile, can play the four, can play the five, can start, can come off the bench. And he's also, it would, you know, I feel like a, a Taj Gibson trade would probably for a team be a short-term rental because he's in the last year of a contract where he's making about $8.9 million this year. He's going to want to get paid this summer. He's over 30 already, so you know maybe it's a short-term rental, but he's exactly the kind of piece. Let's just say, just spitballing a team, and I don't know if they have the pieces for a trade, but a team like Toronto, if you put Taj Gibson on the Raptors, that, would, just be, that would be such a perfect piece right there, or, or Houston or something. Certainly, certainly a lot of uh, value there. What's the key in the second half of the season for the Bulls to call this a success? I think they need to figure out what they are. They need to... Either decide, okay, we're going to just ride out, you know, we're going to really, you know, try to make the playoffs, try to, you know, get some veterans, get, you know, do this, or completely go in the other direction and say, okay, maybe we're going to keep Jimmy Butler, but other than that, maybe sell off Taj Gibson, maybe even sell off Robin Lopez, and just try to get younger and look towards the future and maybe punt on trying to make the playoffs this season, which is something I don't think is likely to happen. But they need to basically go in one direction or the other. I don't know about you. Yeah, you're kind of you're just saying don't do the status quo of kind of competing for a playoff berth and also trying to bring up this young talent. I'm kind of kind of echo your thoughts a little bit, um, more focused and just say player development. Like, I don't think there's a lot of value in getting the eight seed and losing to the Cavs in four games in the first round. So I think they need to see if they can get consistent basketball out of the likes of Doug McDermott, Jaron Grant for the last 48 games of the season, 47 games of the season now, uh, and Chris Felicio, uh, Bobby Portis you brought up earlier. A lot of young guys, and they just need to get a better read on these guys, and if they can see them be consistent, that's going to be very helpful for making future decisions and evaluations. So... We are Locked on Bulls, Sean Heikett and Cody Westerlin, uh, always bringing you Bulls news on a daily basis, so give us a follow if that's what you're into. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Locked on Bulls, like us on Facebook at Locked on Bulls. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, TuneIn, Google Play, Podbean, anywhere you can find podcasts. If you want to advertise with us, make sure you email us at LockedOnBulls at gmail.com, and thanks for listening. All right, the midseason report is in the books. The Raptors, the Celtics, the Magic, the Sixers, the Cavs, the Pistons, and the Bulls. Dropping Wednesday will be edition two of the midseason report. Today's show was brought to you by all sorts of good friends, including SeatGeek. Promo code is LOCKED to get $20 back. Indochino, the custom uh, made-to-measure suits for you. Promo code is LOCKED. Indochino.com. Enter LOCKED at checkout uh, for you. And... Our friends at Blue Apron, that's Lock NBA, no E. Blue Apron, Lock NBA, no E. Make sure you subscribe to any of your these podcasts. Get your favorite daily podcasts. There's also a Locked on NFL and all your favorite daily NFL teams. This has been Locked on NBA, midseason report, Eastern Conference number one, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.
Hi, I'm Paul. Verizon has been placing giant letters all over the country to get people to buy into their unlimited plan. Don't get hooked. Switch to Sprint Unlimited, $22.50 per month per line for four lines and get the fifth line free. Hurry to your local Sprint store, visit Sprint.com slash Unlimited or call 1-800-SPRINT-1 today. Savings until 1031 $18 per line per month for five lines with auto pay. Excludes taxes, surcharges, roaming, streams, you know, KHC 1080p, music to 1.5 megabits per second, gaming up to 8 megabits per second, subject to credit, $30 activation fee, prohibited network use, rules and data deprioritization apply compared to Verizon Beyond Unlimited. Carry features differ, coverage and offer not everywhere, restrictions apply.